humans, how's it going? Susan Ruth here. Thanks for listening to another episode of Hey Human Podcast. This is episode 246. It is with Josie Alston. She is practically a sister to me. She is the sister of my best friend, Ellen, whom you have heard me speak of a million times on this show. Josie is a badass. I love her dearly. She's the clinical director of the Voice and Swallowing Clinic and chief of the Division of Speech-Language Pathology in the Department of Otolaryngology and Head and Neck Surgery at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. She's also the mother of an extra special child who has autism and something called global apraxia. Uh, Not a lot is talked about apraxia. I think it's getting more talked about, but... Uh, it's really good to have Joe on the show talking about this. Uh, I'm really glad that she was able to take some time out. She also uh, has gotten the first round of the vaccine, so that's exciting. She talks about that a little bit as well. The vaccine for COVID, um, I mean. Uh, so I'm excited for you to hear this episode. It's like having uh, family on the show, and so that makes, for me at least, it extra special. I want to talk about a show that I recently watched that Ellen insisted I watch, and it was excellente. It's on Netflix. It's called Surviving Death, and I loved it. I was fascinated by it, and I want to get a couple of the people that are on that show on this podcast. I especially enjoyed the last two episodes. I think there's only six episodes. Last two deal with reincarnation, which I am fascinated by, and it's a must-watch. It's so good. And I have... I have thoughts about the mediums that were on there. There's one of the mediums has all this pomp and circumstance around her. You know, music has to be playing and she has to be in this dark room and all this stuff. And she, to me, seemed far less believable than this other woman who she has really long blonde hair. She comes in, sits down and talks to people and information comes out. There's no other stuff, no music, nobody has to dance or chant or hold hands or anything like that. And she was really believable. Uh, Anyway, that's just my take on it. I highly recommend the show. It was really interesting. If you have any interest in what happens when you die or is there reincarnation or do people have visions of angels, you know, all that kind of stuff that's all in there. And I really thought it was cool. That's my big recommendation. I'm trying to think if I've watched anything else this week. I feel like it's been such a busy week that I haven't really gotten a chance to dig into anything. Oh, I I also started the Fran Lebowitz Pretend It's a City, and that's a real kick in the pants. She, uh, she's a character, for sure. I've been enjoying... I mean, I've only gotten through the first episode, but I did enjoy it. I liked it a lot. Okay, let's get to the other stuff. Hey Human is on social media under Hey Human Podcast, Facebook, and Instagram. Susan Ruthism, if you want to just find my stuff, S-U-S-A-N-R-U-T-H-I-S-M, and that is on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can email me, susan at heyhumanpodcast.com. If you go to heyhumanpodcast.com, you're going to find all sorts of fun things, including a links page. Every episode gets a bunch of links to whatever we were talking about, articles, books, references. I try to compile that all up for you so that it's an easy one-stop you just go to the, the website and you can get all that information. Let, you know, find out my guests' social media, their websites, things like that. Uh, also on heyhumanpodcast.com is a store where you can get Hey Human merch. 
and please do that that's real cool i designed a bunch of things for you and you can check that out t-shirts and hats and artwork uh there's a couple tote bags that have some of my paintings on them and uh i thought they turned out pretty cool if you ask me which you didn't but i'm going to tell you that anyway uh rate and review a human on itunes or wherever you get your podcasts it really helps a lot please please if you have five minutes probably doesn't even take that long go rate and review the show uh if you like music you can find my music on itunes under susan ruth pretty easy to find that and i think that's about it oh if you go to susanruth.com you can learn more things about me that are different than the podcast and sign up on the mailing list and i send out a mailer about every quarter so definitely do that if you are into that kind of thing Okay, let's get into this. Thank you for listening. I appreciate it. Stay safe. Be well. Get the vaccine. Be happy. Be kind. And uh, here we go. Josie Alston, welcome to Hey Human. Thank you, Susan. And hello to all you humans out there. Where are you from? So I was born and raised in Nashville, Tennessee. Um, and lived there for many years, went off to college at the University of Georgia, back to Tennessee, where I did graduate school. Oops, I better turn that down. And um, then back to Nashville, where I worked for the first part of my career. And then currently, right now, I live in Jackson, Mississippi. All right, let's go back, though, to you're in college. Did you explain what your title is so that people have a, a touchstone? I mean, where I work right now? Yeah. Okay, so right now I'm the chief over the division of speech language pathology at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. And basically that just means that um, I manage a lot of speech pathologists. There's about 30 of us, um, 20 that are full-time, 10 that are part-time. And we work at five different campuses here in Jackson and surrounding areas. Um, there are about 14 different specialties within the speech pathologists. And so really, I'm just kind of the leader of our, our division of our specialty here at the medical center. That sounds like a big job. It is a big job. But one of the things I love about it is that I also get to continue to be clinical at the same time. I'm still seeing patients two and a half days a week in addition to all of the administration and, and managerial stuff that I have to do. So I feel like I'm still in the trenches most of the time. I still get to have those wonderful moments where I'm helping patients and learning and educating and doing research. So it, it definitely put a lot more on my plate when I took that leadership role. But I was, you know, after 20 something years, you're ready for new challenges and learning how to manage people is especially a lot of women is it's definitely part of that so i've enjoyed it is it a more female oriented field yes so our field and that's one thing that they're trying to change um nationally but we are probably 99 percent female um Wow. <laughs> it's crazy. I know. So when you're an undergrad in this field, you are learning about speech and language, but you're also learning about hearing because those two processes are so interconnected. 
Um, and then when you go to grad school, you sort of have to make a choice between the two. Now, you can get duly certified as an audiologist where you learn more about hearing or as a speech language pathologist, um, or you can do both. And back in the day, there were a lot of people that did both. But now, because to be a certified speech language pathologist or a certified audiologist, um, you have to go to graduate school and the AUD, which is for audiologists, they actually go a little bit longer than our two years and they get a doctorate degree. So they have a doctor of audiology. Um, speech pathology is just a master's. So you make yeah. that choice. It's hard. Um, and I loved both. Like I loved my sign language class. Um, and I, I love, have some really funny stories about doing hearing tests on people, but um, in the end, I really felt drawn to speech just because I love talking. So <laughs> pathologists do. <laughs> Let's go back to college. Did you, oh, actually, I want to go back further than that. When you were a kid, did people who maybe had trouble hearing and or speaking, did, was that something that piqued your interest early on? Or was it something later as you're in college and you thought, this is what I want to do? So I don't remember anything, anyone, any person growing up that ever went to speech therapy. Like I never even heard of it. Um, and I've thought about this so many times. It's weird that you asked me that question because when I was in college, you know, you think, oh, I have to choose a major and then I'm going to do that for the rest of my life. Right. Um, that's what you think at 18. And so after about a year and a half of college, I was sitting in my economics class thinking, oh, my God, I hate this. How am I going to do this for the rest of my life? It, it felt like I was just going to be miserable because I just I just didn't connect with it. Um, so I did a career placement test. And so it made me kind of one of the things that this career placement test did was throw out different service industries. So like social work, physical therapy, nursing, speech pathology, um, even medicine, like if I wanted to go to medical school, it those were a lot of the things that it said would make me feel fulfilled. But I'd never even heard of a speech pathologist. I didn't even know what they did or um, didn't know anyone that had ever been to one. And maybe that was because I went to Catholic school my whole life and we don't we didn't have specialists. And even to this day, a lot of the Catholic schools don't have special education teachers um, as a regular part of their um, teachers or curriculum in there. So I really wasn't exposed to it, but I thought, I know some people that are majoring that I'll ask them about it. And they said they liked it. So I was, you know, like, okay, whatever. You know, when you're in college, you're just like, is it easy? Can I get an A? <laughs> uh -huh. So that's how I did it. But, you know, after like kind of jumping ahead, um, I've always kind of wondered why I chose that field. And I really feel like it was almost a God wink because as you know, I know your listeners don't know, but my oldest son um, has been diagnosed with autism and several other things, apraxia, sensory integration disorder. Um, and so 
I don't know. Sometimes I feel like God helped me get to where I am so that I could understand what's going on with him so that I could advocate for him so that I could not be completely overwhelmed by all the different steps that we've had to go through to get him services and things like that. So, you know, thinking back on it, I feel like maybe there was a higher power that was leading me down that road. And I love thinking of it like that, just because I'm a spiritual person. But, um, you know, it was it was definitely a good fit for me. I love what I do. And um, since the day I made that decision, it's just taken me down a whole different journey. Your first job out of college was in Nashville at the Voice Center. Is that correct? Correct. Yes. Yeah. So I'm a I'm a voice and resonance um, specialist, I guess you would say, within the field of speech language pathology. Most people, when they hear of a speech therapist, they think of like stuttering, like oh, you help people talk again, or oh, my grandfather had a stroke and he went to speech therapy. So they those are the two things they usually think about. Um, but I am actually a voice and airway specialist. So I worked at the Vanderbilt Voice Center for several years where you get to learn how to help people rehabilitate after, well, diagnose and rehabilitate um, different voice problems. So if they're having hoarseness in their voice, maybe they have cancer, um, throat cancer, maybe they have stenosis of their airway and they can't breathe very good. That, yeah. Mm -hmm. okay. So like sometimes um, after you've been intubated, so like right now with all the COVID patients that are getting intubated, we're seeing a rise in the number of patients that come in and six to eight weeks down the road, they have trouble breathing and they've developed scar tissue in their trachea. And so you have to scope them and see their airway at the top of the trachea and then they have to have surgery to help that. So um, it's a very, what I do is very medical, I guess, compared to what some speech pathologists do when they do like articulation therapy or language therapy. Um, so that's the great thing about my field is there's so many different specialties you can go to within this field. I know that in Nashville, of course, there's so many singers and that was a lot of them would come in and get shots yeah. so that they could sing when they had no voice. And I myself right. uh, in my career as a singer have had those shots where I had a big show and I had to perform Mm -hmm. which is terrible, of course, but right. uh, yeah, and had to get the shot. Right. I mean, your voice is your instrument. It's your moneymaker. And when the really new artists have, you know, when they get signed, they have to go from doing, I don't know, maybe like 40 shows a year to doing like 200 shows a year. <laughs> yeah, it's nuts. And, and they don't, you know, singers don't always have the best habits, which affects their voice. So there's a lot of education that goes on. You know, I remember working with several singers who just got their label. They're really excited. And then I look at them and I'm like, okay, now do you smoke? And they're like, well, you know, I'm like, you can't do that. That's really bad for your vocal cords. You know, do you drink alcohol? Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, only in between sets. And I'm like, okay, that's even worse. You can't do that. 
Um, <laughs> so, so there's a lot of education you do with singers, but yeah, that's that was a really interesting and fun time for me starting out in my career because um, you'd walk by the exam room and you never knew who was sitting in the chair. I mean, it, it could be one of the most famous singers in, in the world and they're sitting right there and you have to go in and talk to them and act like you're just sit, sitting in front of Joe Schmo. And, you know, it was, it was definitely a fun experience. Adele, I believe, famously uh, had some issues with that between her first and when she launched, she launched so yep. largely that, uh, and I guess she was a real breath. She didn't use her breath a great way. And so right. it caused a lot of problems for her. Yeah, because you have to remember singing is like, um, it's almost like the Olympics of voice because everything has to be perfect. Like you have to have good breath support. You have to have relaxed musculature. Um, so, you know, a lot of singers won't ever even touch their neck. And I'm like, you've got to massage these muscles, just like, you know, if you were a runner, you're going to go out and stretch and massage those muscles maybe for an hour before you go and run a 10 second hurdle race. Um, but a lot of singers, you know, they have to learn how to really treat every aspect of voicing, whether it be what you're eating, what you're drinking, how much of it you're drinking, like water. Um, they have to learn how to use good breast support. They have to learn how to massage muscles. Um, and there's definitely training that goes into it. Yeah. Can we talk about uh, praxia a bit? I've, so this is what's so wild about my childhood uh, best friend. Her son was diagnosed with apraxia. I think he was around three when they made that diagnosis. I had never heard of it before. And then your son also. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, and of course, you're the sister of my bestest friendest. So you are like a sister to me as well. And uh it's wild to me that I'd never heard of this thing. And then suddenly two people so close in my orbit yeah. are, you know, learning about it and understanding it. Can we talk about what it is? Cause it's a fascinating issue. Yeah, it is. It is fascinating. And it's, it's pretty rare in the world of speech and language disorders. I mean, apraxia isn't one of the more common things that we see. And what's really hard about diagnosing apraxia is that they can have it from a very young age, but you know, you're not born just coming out speaking and making perfect sounds and words. And so it's really hard to tell in the beginning, is it a disorder or is it a natural part of learning language? And sometimes you won't even get your apraxia diagnosis until you're seven or eight years old. Um, but basically what it is, is it's, it's a, a programming function of the brain that's off. So we have motor pathways that the brain uses to teach you how to form your lips or um your tongue when you're learning to speak and even though you might not get it perfectly correct in the beginning like um you know, <laughs> right like if you say wawa instead of water right. you know eventually your parents will show you 
with their mouth like this is how you say it correctly and through practicing you get closer and closer to that approximation and, and you do it correctly after a few times but a child with apraxia of speech might have to practice it something that would take you know 10 times with a normally developing child might take someone with apraxia um 10,000 times before they start to get it correct. They have to form a different pathway in their brain, getting to their articulators, telling them how to function. So it's hard. I think the hardest part is just getting the diagnosis with apraxia. Once you've kind of gotten there, um, then you can start treating it correctly. But the hardest part is, you know, and Will doesn't just have apraxia of speech. He also has something called global apraxia, which means that um, he has it in his limbs as well, like his fine motor, his fingers. It's really hard for him to hold a pen and his brain to tell his fingers how to make the movements to write fluidly. Um, so, like, he'll probably be a better typer than he ever will a writer. I mean, he's 14 years old right now and he still writes as if he's five, maybe. Um, so, but of course he's been in therapy in special schools since he was two and a half. And that's, you know, the level that we're at right now. Um, some people will advance through their apraxia and you won't notice you know, once they're in high school that they're that different, others, it's a slower go of it. Will couldn't ride a bike, for example. The the motion of making the legs um, work opposite of each other, you know, one leg is up, the other leg is down when you're riding a bike. He couldn't do that. So things crossing the plane in front of him, he couldn't do that either. Um, but he can do all that now. So it just took time. As a parent who happens to have specialized skills in, in these areas, how did you handle the frustration that he had? Because, you know, on one hand, you're mom, but also you know how to help someone eventually get through these blocks if it's possible to get through them. Yeah. Um, so being a parent of a special ed child going through the numerous evaluations and doctor's appointments and IEP meetings, um, the, there's a grief and there's a sadness because along your journey, you realize your child is going to struggle. I mean, you see them struggling in front of you and even, you know, even though I understood probably more than the average parent about speech and language. It still wasn't my specialty. I mean, apraxia was not my specialty. I had to learn about it. I had access to a lot more information about it, I think. Um, but I remember sitting in my first IEP meeting with him when he was three years old, trying to get him into services through the preschool program. And I remember having this just overwhelming sadness that I'm sitting in this meeting and I knew more about his problem than the education specialist sitting in front of me in mm -hmm. the meeting. 
And um, that if I didn't know what I knew, he wouldn't be getting everything that he needed because um, I was his advocate. And you think the schools are supposed to be the advocate and the specialists are going to be the advocate, but it, it it's not. It's the parents. And so you have to become an education specialist. You have to become an insurance specialist. You have to, you know, I had my insurance tell me, he, he also has autism. They told me that um, that was not a medical diagnosis at one point when they were denying therapy. Um, so you have to become a legal specialist. You have to know your rights and you have to know how to fight for them. Um, and then you have to try and do all of this at the same time that you're thinking, my child can't communicate. They're so frustrated and I don't know what they want and I don't know what they're saying and I don't know if they're hurting and I don't know if they feel bad. Um, and then, you know, you have the typical parent worries of, you know, is he going to stick out at the birthday party or, you know, is he going to make friends at school? Did he like the lunch I gave him? I mean, I know one example where, at an IEP meeting, the teacher said, oh, by the way, all those snacks you're sending, he doesn't like that. He tries to throw them away every day. Well, we're five months into the school year and you're just telling me this right now? Like, he couldn't tell me that, you know, because he struggled. And so things like that, you get really mad and you get really mm -hmm. sad. And I, I feel like I would cry all the time at the IEP meetings because I was so frustrated that I was having to fight so hard. It's like, and I know every parent of a child with special needs feels this way. I know they do. I've had these conversations with them. Um, you feel like you just have to fight for every little thing. And why has our education system not figured this out yet after this many years? How have we not figured out how to help these children and whatever their disability is, whether it's developmental, whether it's, um, you know, acquired a traumatic brain injury, what, you know, genetic, whatever the problem is, why have we not figured out how to help them? And, and why do the parents have to fight, fight, fight and get legal advocates involved, you know, to get them what they need. So there's a, there's a grief. I mean, there's even things today. Sorry, I feel like I'm going on and on. But, no, I want you to. I, it's please don't apologize. Like, as your children age, there's new worries, you know, is Will going to be able to ever get a driver's license? You know, I was, I'm kind of hoping that the self-driving cars come <laughs> become affordable by the time he's up there. Cause I don't know that he'll be able to pass that test um, or have a good quick reaction that you need when you're driving. Um, you know, will he be able to have a decent job besides, you know, just cleaning tables at a restaurant? Like I, I don't know these answers and I worry about things that I can't control. Um, you know, and then I think, oh, well, I need to make a bazillion dollars so that he can be taken care of. So then I work harder and, um, you know, you, you have to take a step back sometimes and just be like, I can't control it. I just, I have to take each day 
and deal with what's in front of me right then and there. And, you know, your children will surprise you. It's, it's funny the things that you find joy in that a normal developing child's parents probably wouldn't even notice, you know, like I, with all this pandemic stuff, I've been working at home more and I go on zoom calls and I'll tell my kids, do not come in this room. I'll threaten them. And, you know, they always come in for some reason. There's always an emergency. But like Will wrote a note that said, go outside, Will. And so that was the first note he's ever written me. And it like, I don't know, your heart just swells because you're like, oh, my God, he wrote me a note. He's communicating with me by writing it, you know, and I know what he did was go over to Alexa and say, Alexa, how do you spell go? (laughs) And she'd tell him, but he could write it down after that, you know, and so something like that just excites a parent like me. At 14, it took him that long to write me a note, you know, and of course, I've kept it and put it in my keepsake box. And, you know, I do things like that. But but yeah, I think the whole process of of when you're realizing your child is not normally developing, there's grief and frustration and anger and jealousy. I was jealous of parents that had all these super smart kids who were excelling at everything and it was just easy for them. They can tell their child go get your shoes on and get in the car, you know, and it's done. Whereas it was such a process just to do that simple thing for us. So just will understand the gravity of his situation. And also when he is communicating, even though it's coming out a certain way in his mind, is it making sense or is the disconnect start all the way back there before the delivery I think system? I definitely think it's making sense in his mind because like when he's trying to tell a story, um, he can't get all the words out that he wants to say, but you can see him start to say it and then he'll pause and he might go to a different word, kind of like how patient, I know some of my patients do after they've had a stroke because you can get apraxia after you've had a stroke because it affects a certain part of your brain. And so they may be trying to tell you something and they can't think of the word. So then they go to a similar word. It's called substitution. So, um, and I see him do that when he's trying to communicate. So I know his brain is going faster than his mouth can go. And or even his language capabilities, like I know he knows what he wants to say. Um, But what's interesting is that he learned so much language from watching cartoons um, and TV shows. And he picks up on that language and he says things that you it, it sounds really scripted sometimes like it's from a you know, TV show that the tweeners watch or whatever. Um, So I, I see that he learns through repetition of watching things like that from normal conversation. Um, And so he knows he has autism. I, I don't think he quite understands apraxia right now. 
And we've had to explain it to him in ways that he can understand. So we'll say like, you know, sometimes your brain feels a little mixed up in what you're trying to say. It might be hard to get it out. And so he'll use that explanation, you know, but he's now starting to understand how to manipulate us with that (laughs) information. (laughs) So if he wants something, he's like, oh, mom, it's my my artism is what he calls it. And um and we'll say, no, it's not your autism. You just don't want to do your homework. you know. So he's, he's, he realizes it's harder for him to learn, but he goes to a, a special private school now where all the kids are one to two grade levels behind. They all have trouble learning. Most of them have dyslexia. Oh, he has that too. Forgot about that one. Um, yeah, just add it to the list. But he... Um, he knows that at that school, he doesn't feel any different than any of the other kids because he's not getting pulled out. They all work hard at learning letters and writing and math and science, and they're allowed to communicate the way that's easiest for them. Mm. So he uses a lot of gestures because he can't, um, and a lot of facial expression. Um, cause but a lot can be, uh, can be, uh, understood that way absolutely i mean an, imp- no an improv ASL. <laughs> yeah absolutely an improv class um there are there's a game called uh babble and you have to do the whole scene talking gibberish and try to convey what the scene is about and every time i've ever experienced that whether watching it or doing it myself everybody gets it right well and that's what um, years two and three are of a child with apraxia because they can't talk. So they do gibberish, but they go, mama, 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 and like they'll do the hand gestures, and you know that means I want my juice, you know? And so there's like for a, lo- a long time, that's how I described his speech and language was it sounds like gibberish with intonation. <laughs> like it's just. Um, he's, he's got the pragmatic language down. He just doesn't have the semantic language down. So, um, it's very different. Yeah. Is dyslexia apraxia adjacent? I think there are a lot of children that definitely have both. Another, another thing that I didn't mention that he has is called central auditory processing disorder. And so when you have a lot of different auditory inputs coming in, it can affect how you can localize what you're listening to. So if think about like a classroom of 20 kindergarten kids all in their chairs scooting around half of them probably have ADHD you know playing with their pencils papers rustling teacher talking you know someone mowing the yard outside the classroom like there's so much auditory input coming in and they just can't focus on just what the teacher's saying that's kind of an example of central auditory processing so you can put, they look like hearing aids, like a, it's called an FM system, or um, you can put those on their ears, and then the teacher wears a mic, and then that sound of the teacher talking is the loudest input coming into their ears, and it blocks out all the other sounds, and the difference in what they can learn and focus on is amazing. 
So, you know, and that's another one of those disorders that it makes, it's really hard to diagnose that before around eight years old, I think. Um, but the audiologists are getting better and better at doing certain things to kind of work on that. But yeah, I think all that kind of goes together. The dyslexia, the apraxia, the central auditory processing, um, you know, and so pretty much Will's just under a developmental delay umbrella um, because he has so many different things that are yeah. challenging for him. I think you're right, though. The fact that you went into this career choice certainly paved the way for you to have a better understanding and empathy. Yeah, I do. And sometimes, you know, it's funny because sometimes when I have a mom or even a caretaker, like for some of my adult cancer patients, you know, their child is bringing them and maybe their parent is a difficult person. Because if you think about most head and neck cancer patients, most of them have been drinker smokers their whole life, right? So family dynamics are, are hard for a lot of those patients. Um, but sometimes it, because of the side that I've been on, I will take the caretaker aside and I'll say, hey, you're doing a really good job here. You need to know that. You need to know that I see what you're doing behind the scenes. I see how hard this is. I know the grief that you have, and I know how hard you're advocating for your child. And you need to hear that you're doing a great job because those moms and dads and, you know, caretakers, they don't hear that. You don't hear that from your doctor. You don't hear it from the teachers at the IEP meeting, you know, the, the few people you may hear it from would be your own family, but nobody tells you that. And it's like this whole identity that you have and you always feel like, am I, am I good enough? Am I fighting hard enough? Am I reading enough? Am I paying enough money to go, you know, $2,000 to Vanderbilt's education evaluation that insurance doesn't cover? Like, am I doing everything I can do? Did I move to Mississippi to go to the Magnolia Speech School and pick up my whole life just for this to see if it would help my child? Like, am I doing enough? And sometimes just to have that person tell you, you're doing awesome. You're you have your child is thriving because of you you put the human you know that's the thing is i think so many parents feel alone there's a lot of that i yeah. feel that way sometimes i mean yeah. and i mean and i know more about it than probably 99 percent of parents that have a child with a praxia you know i mean i have sat on my sofa and cried it makes and he's a, a good boy i you know i've spent time yeah. around well he's a sweet kid Yes, he's so tries, compassionate. Yeah, and he tries really hard. And my, my friend uh, whose son also has apraxia, he is such a love bug. I'm just, a, it, it's sort of, um, it's almost like where there are deficits in this one area, they, they get compensated toward this other area. Oh, it's for sure. Like kids well, with Down well, syndrome. Like, he's so drawn to babies. Um there, there have been two instances that I can think of where one is when he was at his after school care 
um, they said, well, Will kind of got in trouble today. And I'm like, what? He doesn't, <laughs> he doesn't do anything terrible. Now, if it was Luke, absolutely. <laughs> I know Luke would do something to get in trouble. That's my younger child. Um, but when they said, oh, he called someone a butt face or butt or something stupid that kids would do and I was like Will doesn't even know that word like he's never even said that word around me or my husband like I was like he doesn't even know how to be mean he couldn't I don't know it's like he couldn't think oh I'm gonna make that person mad by calling them a name he doesn't understand that whereas that's like just an innate skill that Luke has, right? <laughs> um, Will doesn't know how to be manipulative, really. But that's what I'm noticing he's starting to do now. He's getting a little bit better at that when it comes to getting out of things. But but when he was that age, he really didn't know how to do that. They they also said he, he pushed some girl that was, this happened in kindergarten. He pushed some girl that was in line behind him and he got in trouble for that. And I was like, Will is not aggressive. Like, he's never done that. And when I did bath time that night with him, he had all these scratches across the back of his neck. So, like, a child had scratched his neck when they were in line behind him, right? So, he was just reacting to getting hurt. But because he couldn't say, but she pushed, she scratched me. You know, I'm just reacting. Like, so, yeah, there's there's not a mean bone in his body but luke on the other hand <laughs> where did uh, i go wrong no i love him he's how is will with music because i know again from my and i'm just comparing because uh, i don't have a lot of data on this but with music uh, with music because for uh luke is the name of her son oh, and, okay. yeah and uh he absolutely goes ballistic happy for classical music and in fact from a very young age, he couldn't talk yet or anything like that. He was, he would conduct like a conductor. Really? Yeah. To the music, which is, I think an autistic music tends to really light up an autism brain, I think. So, um, I don't know. Cause Will early on, I love to sing, even though I'm not a, a singer, um, and I would always sing to my kids. Will would always put his hands over his ears and tell me to stop. <laughs> I know I'm not that bad. All right. So I don't, but I think his was more of, he would, he never wanted me to play music loud. Um, he's always been around music. Like it's always been a part of our, our life and our family, but he, um, growing up i could never turn it up in the car like but i think that was more of the loudness more than the music itself but he's never really been drawn any specific kind of music his kind of fascinations are with um like cartoon type things like we were very into thomas the train for a while then it was to toy story he dressed as woody for a good three years probably um <laughs> but he just you know as long as he had his hat and his vest he was fine he could do whatever he wanted you know i uh, love that he learned language by watching television it reminds me of that scene in uh um splash when daryl hannah as the mermaid is learning mm -hmm. how to talk by watching television and very so much like that yeah um, 
Yeah, it's very much like that. He even does gestures like that. So if he's like going to tell you something that he wants to tell you, but he doesn't want, he knows that it's kind of one of those things that you do it to the side. Like he'll even put his hand up and be like, by the way, you know, and he does this whole gesture thing because he sees that on TV. But, um, you know, that that's how he learns language. So it's interesting. Music is not now the shows he watches they play a lot of music in the background he likes like the anime so like Yu-Gi-Oh and Pokemon and all that kind of stuff um and they always have like hard rock music so I'll catch him dancing around in his room to that sometimes but I love that that's great it's a little little metal head <laughs> that's right how has it been for you in a relationship because you're married and a lot of I think families that have children that have these issues, it puts quite the strain on the parents. What is some advice you can give to help people who are maybe going through some stuff to stay connected to their partner? Um, Well, I think just with any relationship communication, I mean, that's such a basic answer, but um, you know, 87% of marriages of special needs children Um, don't last. It's a really high number of divorces. And I think it's because when you have a child that is really sick or really struggling, you focus so much on the child because they're your world that you forget to focus on each other and support each other. And you're both scared and you're both fearful and you're both angry and you're both grieving um and that I think unless you and I know I struggled in the beginning years of my marriage I mean marriage is hard on its own in the beginning learning to live with someone else but then you throw your first child having all these problems in there um and the financial burden of a child with special needs is incredible um it makes it hard, but I guess my advice would be to communicate and to talk to each other because, and to go to the evaluations and the IEPs together. That's something that we didn't do uh, very often. Sometimes we did, but you know, when both parents are working, that's hard because there are a lot of appointments. There are a lot of, evaluations and you know with me being the speech and language specialist he would just defer to me a lot about what about the advocation and all the different things that we needed to do for will which is okay i mean i feel better for that but then there are times where i'll freak out because i'm like i know everything he knows nothing you know what what if something happens to me then what's going to happen with Will? You know, I remember talking to some of my friends that are speech therapists. I'm like, if anything ever happens to me, you're going to have to help Jace. You're going to have to teach him what to do and how to advocate at an IEP meeting, go with him and, you know, make these things happen because I do all of that just because part of me is a control freak and also, <laughs> also because I know more about it. And so I feel like I can talk the talk when I'm sitting in the IEP meeting or whatever in front of the doctor. Um, So I think 
that it's hard, you know, a lot of marriages won't make it, but um, to at least learn to co-parent, even if that happens for the sake of your child is still important. And, you know, not everybody's meant to be together forever, but you have to, you have to be the adults and you have to work together to make sure that your relationship is not making the whole situation worse. Mm. Um, so, you know, it's hard. And, and I've had this discussion with people that I know that have children with special needs. I'm like, y'all go on a date night. It's hard. You got to get a babysitter, you know, <laughs> but, um, the relationship does suffer at least in the beginning because you're so focused on the child. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. And I think that's good advice. Let's uh, shift gears. Now I want to talk about something that is the craze of the nation about 10 or 15 years ago. It seems people started talking like this and like a lot. We talk about that and how that came to be and what you feel about that. It's called vocal fry, right? Yeah, I think I was like glottal fry, vocal fry. Um, yeah, it's sort of the bane of my existence as a voice therapist. Um, I hate it. So it is it's it's talking in the bottom of your pitch range. Most people don't realize that you have about three octaves of pitches from your lowest to your highest. Um, but if you talk in the very bottom of your range and you're kind of tightening the muscles in your throat and holding back airflow, all it sounds like is <sighs> gruffness. So it's it, 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 called glottal fry. So a lot of times when I'm listening to NPR or something, you know, or podcasts like this one, um, I get a little bit irritated by the voice on the other side if they talk down here like this the whole right. time. Yeah. This is like glottal fry. So if you if you're not sure what I'm talking about, just watch an episode of the Kardashians. Uh, they are infamous for talking like this. And it's just not pleasant to my voice therapy ears. Um well but, do you damage over time as well? Does that kind of talking? Um, <laughs> I wouldn't say you damage it. I think that you, it, most people are like, well, where should I be talking? Like when I point that out to them and I'm like, well, usually it's where you say, mm-hmm. So when you go, mm-hmm, that's about five to seven notes up from your bottom of your pitch range. Um, that's what we would call your modal pitch or your appropriate pitch. And it's, it's, you sometimes I do therapy to teach people number one to recognize where that is. Um, but if I'm going, mm hmm, mm hmm, that was about seven notes from my bottom, I couldn't go much lower. Um, that's sort of the pitch range that I should learn to talk around. And it doesn't sound glottal fry e because it's not in the bottom of my pitch range. And I'm taking a breath when I say something. I've got the airflow behind it to support it. And what what singers especially don't realize is if you talk like that a lot in the bottom of your pitch range, um, you're building up tension all day long. Because even a professional singer with a multi-million dollar contract and label, they 
only sing about 5% of their day, but they'll talk 95% of their day. And if they're talking in the bottom of their pitch range and they're not using good airflow, um, another one that comes to mind is Miley Cyrus, her voice. Uh, I feel sorry for her, her speaking voice, but I know she's working on it. I heard a podcast where she was working on it. So good for her. Um, she, I love the way she sings, though. She's a badass. Yeah. I'm a she, big fan. She really <laughs> built it out. Um, she's definitely got talent, you know. Mm -hmm. So, um, but the speaking voice can, you can build up tension all day long. And then you want to go and do a show or a recording and you've built up all this tension. And now you have to kind of work through that to try to get your singing voice to be at its maximum because you want it to be the best it can be. So it can have an effect. Your speaking voice can affect your singing voice. Um, and it can also make you feel like you sound bad. You know, if you are a podcaster, like so many are these days, um, or if you are on the radio or, um, you know, just have to be a speaker for a living. I mean, I work in the medical field. I work at an academic medical institution. So many of us have to give lectures and presentations. And I mean, what better way to zone out from what someone's telling you than if they say, talk like this the whole time and it's not easy to listen to and then they um do the uh the fillers uh the whole time like this you know so as a voice therapist um i give a lot of presentations i've even given a presentation on how to give a presentation <laughs> how meta <laughs> because the voice part of it is is it tells a message. I mean, if you, it, I know you know this from your line of work as a podcaster. If someone is really monotone the whole time, it's hard to sound interested. And, you know, even doing simple exercises like, like a lip bubble. If you sit there and you did 15 lip bubbles before you recorded your podcast, you would find that you had a lot more inflection of your voice as you're talking. So it sounds more interesting. You bring up a really good point. I should start doing vocal exercises before these interviews. I, I've, I haven't been. And it's a, it's a good it's a good idea. I, yeah. I heard that Celine Dion doesn't even speak for a couple of days before she yeah. sings. So that's one extreme. Yeah. <laughs> Although I do have a pin that you gave me way back when that says, yeah. uh, I am on vocal rest and cannot speak. I still have that Must pin. Be yes, no questions only. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we used to give that to people after surgery um, because they would you have to rest your vocal cords after you've had vocal cord surgery. Right. Um, there's a I have that I have that weird birth defect. So I was having a lot with my touring schedule. I was having a with singing. I was having yeah. so much issue. There's a recovery process. So um, yeah, sometimes we, that's the hardest thing. I tell people, I go, yeah, we're going to give you some medicine. You're going to have to take your reflux medicine every morning. You can't work out, no coffee, no throat clearing, drink lots of water, blah, blah, blah. But the hardest thing that you're going to have to do is to be quiet. It is the hardest thing. And anyone who's ever lost their voice for a day or two it's really hard to not try to talk or whisper or anything. So, um, yeah, 
it's it's crazy how hard it is to just be quiet for a few days. <laughs> and whispering is really hard on the voice. Um, if you whisper in a strained whisper, yes, it is, you know, because you're you're kind of tightening everything and then trying to force air at the same time too. So yeah, we tell people to avoid the really hard whisper, like, hey, how are you? Um, but you know, if you just do some kind of mouthing whisper, I guess it would be better than nothing. <laughs> Sex pot whispering is mm -hmm. okay. And, and also that low tone in a hypnotherapist is also very good. <laughs> yeah. That monotone will mm -hmm. drift you off. You, because of your position and being in a hospital and working with patients and their mouths and throats and airways and things, mm -hmm. uh, are you must have to gear up pretty extensively for, because of COVID. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. My whole field has changed immeasurably um, since last February and it's been crazy. And I just got my vaccine yesterday. Woo, congratulations. I feel so grateful to all those people who worked so hard on the vaccine and all the scientists and everything. I mean, I, you know, I felt guilty in a way of getting it, but I know there's so many people like my parents that I would rather have given it to, but I also work with some of the most fragile patients who, if they get COVID from me, it will kill them. Like all, all my tracheostomy patients, we change trachs. I scope them for their airway issues. Um, my head and neck cancer patients, I change out the little prosthesis in their neck and their coughing blood and mucus on me on a daily basis. So I'm at super high risk. I'm what you would be considered the tier one frontline healthcare worker. Mm -hmm. um, Thank so you, I, by I, the way. Well, my pleasure. I love what I do. Um, you know, it was really hard because we did, we shut down for about, two to three weeks where we could not see our patients while we were trying to get PPE and figure out what was going on and how could we do what we do safely. Um, and so like now, if I'm going to scope someone or change a trach or help their voice after they've just had their throat removed from cancer, um, I have to wear a gown. I wear an N95. I wear another mask over that. I wear headgear. Um, gloves, obviously, um, and there's a whole donning and doffing procedure. So, you know, I can't see as many patients in a day as I used to be able to. And um, you lose a little bit of the human side because you can't see their face or, you know, they can't see your face or... I used to always give my patients hugs after, you know, when I was saying goodbye to them and I'm just a hugger and I can't do that anymore. And I hate it. I hope it'll be back soon, but you know, I've got to get another vaccine in about three weeks um, to really be effective. Have you noticed anything awry or, Side effect or anything? Um, I did have a headache last night on my way home from work. So I got the vaccine around two o'clock. The headache started around five, five thirty. I took some ibuprofen before I went to bed and I was fine. Like my arm hurts just like I got a flu vac flu shot or whatever. Um, but that's the only thing I felt today. Like I feel perfectly normal today. So I hope that little mRNA is in there working and forming <laughs> the proteins and Doing my fight response 
jump started in my body. Um, now, I know there'll be people listening to this episode who will say, wait a minute, she got a vaccine, but she has an autistic child. The people that think that there is a link. Do you want to talk mm -hmm. about that real quick? Like the anti-vaxxers? Um, yeah, it's definitely a controversial uh, topic when it comes to autism. Um, I know that we'll like we did genetic testing there's a lot of genetic testing with autistic children now will actually has a genetic duplication on a chromosome like i feel like his developmental challenges are from that because myself nor my husband have it they can't exactly say how that ties in because it's kind of a novel duplication on the chromosome um i had him look at it again just like a year ago and there's still not as much interpretation information as we would hope for, but um, I don't believe his vaccines cause that because I noticed things early on um, that he did strange with his mouth and things. So, um, yeah, I wasn't afraid of this vaccine. No, there are some people, you know, it hasn't been able to be tested on children or pregnant people so i understand people that have hesitation in getting it that i do have a very good friend that was a couple months pregnant when she actually got covid and has since had her baby um and you know baby's great fine right now um and i have some friends that are recently pregnant that just got covid um but and the ones and they will not be getting the vaccine but you know like a lot of other vaccines, you, you, it's hard to test on special populations like that, especially early on when you're trying to do expedited something like this. Now, absolutely, it takes years for research to come through. Yeah, on yeah. and funding. I mean, that was why this mm -hmm. was so expedited was because there were the top companies, there was unlimited funding to get us an answer. Um, and everybody was working together. It wasn't like a big money-making scheme. It was, how can we save the hundreds of thousands of people that are dying from this and all over the world? And so I feel like it was, it was almost kind of how it reminds me of how our country kind of pulled together after 9-11, where everyone was helping each other and looking out for the good of each other. Like that was such a horrible time in our history and life changing for me, but it also was a time of healing and togetherness that we have lost as a nation. I'm looking forward to think to the healing coming yeah, back. Me too. I am too. I, Fear I makes I, people do very strange things and mm -hmm before many people can acknowledge fear they they choose hate because that's a much easier emotion to access yeah and i think our information outlets are or disinformation outlets i mean it's been a shit show are crazy it's, <laughs> it's crazy right show. now it's crazy but I, I am excited to get a vaccine i yeah. cannot wait um there yeah. is a sense of relief that you're not gonna hurt your patients or your parents my parents or yeah your children or your friends you know mm -hmm. like that's my concern what all along is that i'm gonna hurt someone and not 
intentionally, but, you know, there's outbreaks right now in my office. You know, we've had five people get it in the last two weeks. And I've shared an office with one of those people. Like, I was nervous about it. Um, so there is a sense of relief and a sense of gratefulness to all the people who do what they do every day on the front lines. It's sad. It, you know, the COVID wards at our hospital, we're out of ICU beds. Um, Mississippi is, we were a little late in the game. Like we were better off than the New Yorks and sure, understandably, um, places like that. We're very rural. Mecca. Yeah, of course. Very rural. Um, so we're not on top of each other. We don't use mass transportation to get around every day. And, um, you know, so we were lucky that we got to learn from them. Like I remember being on a zoom call with a doctor at Mount Sinai in New York who was teaching us about COVID. So we had that benefit going into it that other people didn't. But right now we are struggling because we have such a high African-American population in Mississippi that um, we have higher death rates. So yeah, that's sad, you know? Yeah. It's really uh, overtaking people of color. It's overtaking the indigenous tribes and, um, yeah, we need to get a we need to get a grip on this for sure. And I don't feel like if you don't want to get one, you know, if you don't want the vaccine because you want there to be more data, more research, I, I just think you just need to read about it because not everything about this vaccine was brand new. I mean, they built it off of the SARS vaccine. Um, right. it, and so they've and there's two different kind there's two more there's vector vaccines that are coming out from two other companies that are in phase three right now so there will be options you know down the road sure. um, and i i get it i get people are nervous and right. that and all that but all i can say to that is educate yourself as you just mm -hmm. stated read everything you can from right. reputable science sources right and and that and is not facebook <laughs> yeah not from facebook not from some weird video you saw that your aunt's sister's right. hairdresser sent you but really really spend time and research it like you would with anything you right. know absolutely yeah well i'm glad that you got the shot Me the too. vaccine and I'm excited for myself included to get that. Yeah. Uh, I, LA is getting hit pretty hard. Nashville is now number one in the country for cases. Yeah. Uh, so it's bonkers. And of course, Ellen yeah. had COVID. That yes, scared the shit out of me. She was pretty sick. I mean, she, she looked like she had a bad flu. And, you know, she had negative tests before that. <laughs> That's right. So, two, right. The one or two negative tests and then then positive. Yeah. I mean, and that's the thing is that when it takes time for antibodies to to multiply enough for you to get sick and depending on your immune system, somebody like me, I have an autoimmune disorder, right? Yeah, so yeah. not only am I Marfan, but I'm also celiac. Yeah. Uh, so who knows? Yeah. You know where that person And you'll is. need to talk to your doctor about getting the vaccine, like if it if that's right right for you oh because of the autoimmune celiac mm -hmm. yeah that's a good point yeah. i can't get all the awesome facial fillers that women get to get <laughs> as they age i don't know if i would call those awesome i've seen a lot of those people so <laughs> yeah, some people go out of control but at the same time I'm like oh man i don't even get to do that stuff because 
Uh, I think you're beautiful the way you are. Oh, I love you too. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Josie, how can people get a hold of you if they have questions, if they want to know more information? Um, they can either email me. My email is jalston, A-L-S-T-O-N, at U-M-C dot E-D-U. Um, or they can call me if they want. My work phone number is 601-984-6591. And I, you know, I don't have the answers, but for everything, but I am always happy to share my experiences or give advice and you don't have to follow it. But, um, <laughs> you know, I do love I love talking to other parents of special needs kids because we have to be our each other's support sometimes, you know. What are some things there are definitely going to be somebody listening who is starting to notice some differences in their child. What are some things to look for that might present as a, a bit of a red flag to, to really focus in on so that they're prepared in case. It okay. Is so like, if they don't like getting their hands dirty, if they won't put their hands in their food and play around with it, they don't want to touch their Cheerios, things like that. Um, if they have groping things with their lips, like if you say, give mommy kiss and they can't really make a kiss with their lips. Um, if their errors in their early language are all over the place, like sometimes they say, tut take for cupcake and then the next time they say pupake and the next time they say mupake you know if they're having errors that are not consistent sometimes that's a sign of apraxia of speech um and you know if they have trouble doing normal um motor movements that other kids are doing holding their bottle will used to splay his hands out when he would hold his bottle or rub his mouth on my collar getting like sensory input um which i always thought was kind of strange you know looking back on it i can sort of see the early signs and don't be afraid to advocate for your children i mean i had to make my pediatrician give me a referral for the the early evaluation process through the state of Tennessee, he told me I was a overreactive speech therapy mom, but I said, well, I don't care. I still want it. I still want you to do it, you know? Um, and I pushed him and you got to be pushy. Like, Did he apologize after the fact? I am always curious about doctors who think they know everything. Nope. No, he was a good doctor. I liked him, but I just feel like they, you know, pediatricians see so much of everything that, and there are some overreactive parents. I'm not saying yeah, every course. parent shouldn't push, but, but it's your prerogative. You, you can push them, push them, push them. And sometimes the first answer, you know, there's good speech pathologists, bad speech pathologists, good doctors, bad doctors. Like sometimes you always get a second opinion. Like I tell my patients that all the time now that come to see me for their first opinion. I'm like, I'll be happy to give you some second opinion, people. Like, don't be afraid. Yeah. Advocating for yourself and for your family is key mm -hmm. with insurance companies as well. I've gone toe-to-toe yep. -to -toe with insurance before. Yep. Yeah. The for trick sure. with that 
is always CC the insurance commissioner. <laughs> it's amazing how quickly <laughs> things turn around in your favor. Things can you... turn around. Yes, that's great yeah. advice, Susan. It's I love true. that advice. Yeah. It makes a huge difference. <laughs> and most people. most states have a free advocate, that, legal advocate that you can take to like an IEP meeting with you. That also makes them listen to you a little bit more if you need help. Yeah. So. Yeah. Man, we have some broken systems. I hope yes. as we move into the future that uh, that those those issues get fixed because it's not like we're making less people. <laughs> No, we're and the not. more people means statistically yeah. the more things. And we happen. really need to figure out a way as a society to help these people as they age, mm -hmm. um, because you get some help in the schools, but once you're 18, there it's a real struggle as to some of the um, help that you need with employment and insurance and all kinds of things. So yeah, and in some cases they lose their benefits if they get even the most menial job. Right. So it's not like they can afford yeah. to support themselves on a seven dollar an hour job, but at the same time all their their care is taken away because they have a job. So it's a real double edged sword. Yeah. I know. Yeah. Josie, I love you. I, I love you, you too. Are amazing at your strength and oh, so everything yeah and thank you for everything that you do you've helped me uh, on many occasions and uh yeah thank you for being a part of this and for being on hey human well it's my pleasure and thank you for getting these important messages out there that you do so often and do so well so thank you i'm very happy thank you love thanks for listening everybody bye Rate and review Hey Human on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks. Bye.